You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. And this story continues today, doesn't it? The feelings of being an outcast, the feelings of being naked or exposed, and the feelings of being unclean. This is the story we all live in. This is the grand meta-narrative story from beginning, from one cover to the other. It's everywhere. And we so often forget, but we live within the story of God. We are in the very midst of it. Abuse, verbal, emotional, sexual, physical, sexual promiscuity everywhere, nakedness, words of identity. Like, you are stupid. You are disgusting. You are worthless. You have no meaning. You should have never been born. See, these are identity markers that are extremely painful to carry. And it did not take me long to come up with those in my study because I've heard each one of them with individuals as I sat with them. And some of those... I've said to myself, it doesn't take long when you begin to start thinking of it and going, hmm, I've experienced shame. They're identity markers. They're extremely hard because oftentimes they come from your own mouth and you hear them. They identify you or you've heard them from someone that you know or that you're associated with. And they're hard to get over. So we have the fall, the beginning of shame, with Adam and Eve, the the people that were created different, but yet entered into this sinful territory. And their children, Cain and Abel, felt it. Right? Cain killed his brother, doing something less than human, and then was marked for all of creation to see. Then you have the flood where massive amounts of shame throughout all of the land where, where God had to destroy all of mankind because of the shameful acts that they were committing. They were all acting in animalistic behavior and God destroyed the world but saved one family, Noah and his family. But they weren't immune from the shame again. It brought out into the boat and onto the land again and Noah began to build another garden. And he built a garden and he had a a winery and he got drunk on the very wine, the very grapes that he created. And he went into his tent and one of his sons defiled him, bringing great shame upon the family. And then you have the Tower of Babel, the shame of misunderstandings, misunderstanding one another and God's purpose for your life, living a different purpose than God has proclaimed for you. And then you have Abraham and Sarah carrying the shame of barrenness, giving each other to others to fulfill the promise of God on their terms, not on God's terms, on their terms. Acting less than human, acting with animalistic behavior, not trusting in God, the result being shame. And then you have Moses in the slavery of God's people in Egypt being identified, identified for 450 years as slaves. Shame. 
Then you have Judah and Tamar. Judah, the very lineage of Christ, and his daughter-in-law, who was married to one of his sons who had died, and then to another son, as the tradition holds, to another son, and then he dies, and then being withheld. So she takes matters upon her own herself and becomes, dresses as a prostitute, and Judah takes his daughter-in-law as a prostitute. Shame brought upon the family of God. Again, in Gen- that you can find that in Genesis 38. Or you have judges like Samson being set apart for God to live for him, but Samson choosing his path rather than the Lord's. Ending with an act of suicide. Again, acting less than human. You have kings leading people towards shame. You have prophets like Jonah running from God. You have Zechariah, fast forward into the New Testament. You have Zechariah and Elizabeth, the, the mother and father of John, the shame of being barren without child and then being shown by an angel in the Holy of Holies and not believing. And then you have Joseph and Mary looking for to divorce to solve their problems. You and I are next, experiencing the very things these people before experienced. Ed Welch writes, with shame there are no words. Shame takes us to the extremes where words fall short, so we express shame by doing disgusting things. Intentional vomiting and degrading promiscuity can be part of it. Intentional failure in work or relationships. Shame can deliberately undermine any possible success. Friends, we live in the story of God. We live in this story. This is the lens we look through, that we live in shame. This is the very story that we are introduced to in Joseph and Mary as well in the Scripture. Let's take a look at Joseph for a moment. We actually don't know much about Joseph. It's actually quite funny. There's a story of a Sunday school teacher asking his students, um, what are, Joseph, what are um, Jesus' parents' names? And the little child raises his hand and says, Virg and Mary. Virg and Mary are the parents of Jesus. Uh, Not really. It's close, right? It's close. Um, But you don't see or you don't, you you understand why that child would say Virg and Mary because we often hear that Virg and Mary, right? We don't often see, even when we read through the story of the scripture, we don't often see Joseph. Joseph is a very minor character in the story of scripture, right? Joseph was the husband of Mary, but not the biological father of Jesus. The New Testament makes this quite clear in Matthew 1.18, where it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, and we're gonna come back to that word, betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit so important information to realize this before they came together which means before they had sex they found Mary to be pregnant and the Bible also says this in Matthew 1 25 but knew her not which is another way of saying they didn't have sexual relations not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus So again, referencing back to Joseph. Joseph had the authority as the husband to 
to name the child. See, there are not many facts recorded about Joseph in the four Gospels. He's actually only mentioned a few times three separate stories about him. Jesus' birth, when they traveled to Egypt, and then the return to Galilee. And there's one pre-teen, pre-Jesus, or preteen story of Jesus where Joseph is mentioned, uh, but not actually within the story of, in, in the story that we see in Luke 2, 47 to 50. It's actually on the screen here. It says this, and you'll remember this story. This is pre-teen Jesus. There, a lot of people say around 12 years old. He's at the temple talking to the Pharisees. And it says, and all who heard him, Jesus, all the Pharisees who heard him, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Referencing her and Joseph. Behold, your father Joseph and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus corrects them. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my heavenly father's home? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Did not understand this. See, this is the last we hear of Joseph. Joseph is not mentioned as being around when Jesus began his public ministry. Almost everyone agrees that he had died before the time Jesus revealed himself to the world. So we don't see Joseph a lot in the story of Scripture. That's why maybe you understand Joseph or Jesus' dad to be named Verge, Right? But let's go back to that word betrothed for a moment in Matthew 1.18. See, remember, we are looking through the lens of one grand story being told. And the story of a people that are naked and ashamed all the way back from Adam and Eve. This is who we are. This is part of our animalistic behavior tendency in our identity until Jesus renames us. See, for Mary to be found pregnant before being with Joseph was a very big deal. Still is a big deal to this day, but back then, huge. Huge deal. Also, a big deal for Joseph. See, like Adam and Eve's sin brought shame upon all of us, Mary being pregnant would have brought great shame upon Joseph and also his family. And can you put yourself in that situation for a moment? Like everybody would have thought Joseph was the one that impregnated Mary. There is no way people would have believed that there was this majestical angel coming and saying, you're going to be pregnant from from God Almighty. Like there must have been great shame for Joseph, taking advantage of a virgin, not not waiting for the time of betrothal, disobeying the law of God. See, betrothal for a moment was this legal binding. And it's going to sound really familiar. All right, so it's a legal binding, and what would happen is the husband would leave for about a year, sometimes a little bit less, would leave for a year. They would fall, this couple would fall in love, and the man, they would, they would not have sex. They would go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then when I come back, then we will consummate our marriage, and then we'll take you home. Sound familiar? Jesus came. 2,000 years ago, we fell in love. He's going to go now and prepare a place for us. And then he's going to come back and we're going to be united as a married couple. We're betrothed. There's a covenant relationship. So much so in the time there, betrothal, that's why Joseph looked for divorce because he had to legally divorce her. 
So Joseph would have heard from his parents, from his family, from his friends, and then the whole side of Mary, shaming her family, hearing from all of her friends and the neighbors. This has to be the reason why Joseph sought for this divorce. It was the only way out. Like put his shoes on or his sandals for a moment. Right? In his eyes, it was the right thing to do. You see, engagement back then, the betrothal was that legal binding for a couple. That's why Joseph had to seek that legal divorce. And that's brought great shame to both families. And can we be a family for a moment? Like in order to be a family, we need to be able to ask hard questions to one another. And to be able to walk with each other in love. In a deep love for one another. With the right heart motivation. And I need to ask you, I want you to think about, and maybe you already are, even just hearing the word shame, maybe all kinds of different thoughts are coming into your mind of, of maybe a past thing that took place that you were a part of, that maybe you did to one another or someone else, or maybe you, that you were associated with. I know this week, for me, there's all kinds of things that popped up. See, words like unclean, dishonored, filthy, shunned, disgusting, defiled, outcast, unlovable, discarded, repulsive, disgraced, worthless, scorned, vile, are all words that resonate, don't they? So what do you do if you're Joseph in that situation? Knowing that you hurt the people around you. How do you walk down the streets? How do you go on caring for your teenage future bride who is now pregnant? This must have been incredibly scary for him. Something that would make him want to go inside himself, to isolate away from people. This must have been an incredibly scary time. It must have been a confusing time. His heart must have been breaking. Did this woman I love have an affair? Did this woman I love, can I, can I ever actually trust her again? Like, what is my life going to look like now? Can we relate to this story? Can we put Joseph's shoes on and, and really, do we understand what it feels like to be cheated, to be lied to? To not be believed or trusted. Those things make you feel lonely, isolated, and confused. Like an outcast. Exposed and unclean. See, these types of moments in our lives are when shame is birth. We have all experienced it. Joseph wanted to run. He wanted to leave this relationship. He wanted to move on with his life, knowing that the life that was before him was going to be incredibly difficult if he didn't remove himself from it. But in the Gospels, we learn that God has a different story for us. He has a different story for Joseph. See, God is a God that breaks into shame. He breaks into confusion. He breaks into the frustration. He breaks into the feelings of being an outcast, to being unclean. This is what he's been doing all the way back from the beginning. God is salvation. God is the truth. God is the life for you. 
God is the light that breaks into the darkness. God is the light that breaks in and speaks new identity to you. God shows up, friends. God shows up and, it, and is at his best when we are at our worst. When we're at our worst, God is at his best. Let's take a look now at Mary for a moment. Mary would have been anywhere from 14 to 16 years of age. Betrothed, knowing she would be marrying Joseph within the year. And then here's the most amazing news that any young Jewish girl would have dreamed about. Carrying in her womb the Messiah to come. In the Gospel of Luke, we don't necessarily see the shame written on the pages of the Scripture, but we can definitely imagine what this must have been like for Mary. The excitement of new life growing within you, but the reality of how this would affect her parents, Joseph's parents, Joseph, and also herself. Being associated with something and having witnesses that don't fully grasp the entire story brings undeserved shame undeserved shame. See, we don't know from Scripture why Mary left her family and home to stay with her uncle and aunt for three months. But maybe it was to be freed from the ridicule, the stares from others. Maybe to free her from harm. But for Mary, it was a relief. It was a relief. See, a time, from, a time away from others that don't necessarily know you and enter into a home that would love, trust, and believe your story. Mary left her home and found refuge for the next three months in the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth, her uncle and aunt, John the Baptist's parents. Mary would then return three months later, most likely showing a little bit, but with a newfound zeal for her purpose and the purpose of her child. Mary had nothing to seek forgiveness for at that moment, but if she isolated and lived in fear of what others might have thought about her, and we don't know that in the Scripture, then she would have something to confess. See, the story of Mary is a great example of how we ought to trust and believe the words of God over the thoughts of others. Both Mary and Joseph believed God when he spoke to them through an angel. Both of them did. They fell in love with that story. I can't imagine having that in your pocket and going, no, after hearing the ridicule and the stares and and all that kind of stuff, and then go, no, I spoke to an angel. I know that this is right. And it changed everything. And we too, in the midst of confusion, ought to believe God as He spoke to us through His Word. That's why this book is my favorite book of all. of all time. It is my anchor. It's the very words of God that when shame comes and it tries to attack me, tries to give me a new, new identity, I just simply look to this and find my identity that's always been there. The identity that God himself proclaims me to be his child, to be renewed, to be chosen rather than an outcast. And this is how we fight shame. I want to give you five areas of how to fight this war against shame because it is around us continuously. So as we close today, let me give you these things. The first is His Word. 
The first is his word. This is how we battle shame. There is no greater resource than scripture. Devotion to God's word is paramount. It's paramount when it comes to truth, life, and our new identity. If you're not regularly, friends, if you're not regularly in God's word, you're missing out on who you are as a Christ follower. You're missing out on who Jesus is. And your heart and mind will be open to the enemy's words rather than God's. It's paramount to be in the Word of God. Secondly, we must stand on truth. If you have been wronged by another, if someone has wronged you, then we need to stand on the truth of God. If you have wronged another, we need to stand on the truth of God and confess our sin to one another. If you're not regularly in this, standing for the truth, it returns, what it does is when you stand for the truth, it returns the shame upon whom they should be feeling it, it, where it truly belongs and where it can be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with publicly. See, Jews of the Holocaust had been had, had shame heaped, heaped on them. They were called all kinds of different names, treated as if they were animals. Not all accepted that, though. Some were actually able to see reality more clearly. The shame was really the Nazis. And we must reject shame that it might return to where it belongs. See, some here have experienced great shame through actions done against them. Like, rape is one of those things that I've heard much about. Ministering to women and also men over the years that I've counseled people. One out of six women have been raped. That means most likely there's multiple here in this gathering. One out of 33 men have been abused sexually. I've talked with both. Unfortunately, no stories are shocking any longer. Shame needs to return to where it belongs. Human, when, when the individual doing these less than human acts can then deal with it with the Lord. So when we stand for truth, shame then returns to the individual so that they can act and deal with it with the Lord. See, Ed Welch writes, if your shame is due to something evil that someone else did to you, those deeds deserve to be publicly unpraised publicly unpraised and you can't do that by yourself do not allow shame to intimidate you into silence so we must stand on God's word and we must stand on the truth thirdly that we need to know that you are acceptable Ed Welch writes the opposite of shame is that you are acceptable you will receive honor value worth even glory and it will be public This is the beauty of the story of Scripture. We live in the story of God and we start off naked and ashamed and God came that we might have life and life to the fullest. And you battle, if you battle shame by knowing the Word of God and through the Word, you know that you were accepted. And we see this in Romans 10, 9, and 10 where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart one believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
See, you are accepted not by your merit, not by what you have done, haven't done, or something done to you. You are accepted because Romans 5, 8 says so. It says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowledge of our acceptance into the hands of God by way of belief in Jesus is essential. It's essential. We need to know that we are saved by the love of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, shame is broken in community. Shame is broken here with friends and family of God. Friends, staying quiet is not an option within the family of God. We need to know and be known. This might take some time with some of you. With others, it might be the easiest thing to do, to be known and to share your story. But others, that's going to take some time. We all need to make the effort to be the family of God towards one another. Life in community breaks the grip of shame. It breaks the grip of shame. Remember the second command Jesus left us to love one another as Jesus or as God has loved us. That's how we are to love one another. The vertical love we have experienced from God, we are to pass on to one another. So shame is broken in community. The word of God is giving us all that we need to live a life of freedom. It's given us all of it. So read it, study it, hear it, memorize it. Mem- or meditate on it. Make it a priority in your life. We will find Jesus in all of the pages. And fifthly, shame is removed when you are connected with someone of high honor. Shame is removed when you're connected with someone of high honor. Family, there is no one higher in honor than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And one question to close. Do you know him? Do you truly, like truly know him? With all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Born of a virgin. Our Savior, the only truth and the only life. He's coming back. He's our husband, the groom, to return back for his betrothed bride, who is the church. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much uh, for what you have done for us. That you are the one that enters into shame. Our shame. You are the one that enters in and breaks these things. And thank you for stories like Joseph and Mary, which we can actually resonate with deeply in the, in the hurt and the feelings of being an outcast, being naked and, and being unclean. Lord, I know I feel that personally. And I pray, Jesus, that as we reflect on that in this season and rejoice and rejoice and praise your name for what you have done, that you have entered into our hurt and our shame and feeling an outcast and you became our Father, our Holy One, our Savior, our Redeemer. And you are the one that takes away the shame. 
Help us, Lord, now as we, as we sing and reflect on this and rejoice in what you have done for us and that how you have entered into your own story to save us from it. Help us reflect as we, as we celebrate, as we see the lights of Christmas, as we see um, uh, the decorations that we, that we remember that you are the truly decorated King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.